Hello, 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 everyone. My name is Matthew Terry, founder and CEO of Suede, and welcome to People in Sales, Not Salespeople, where we analyze the person behind the salesperson. I'd like to introduce Sam to you. Sam and I have been good friends. We met at Cohatch, and Sam has been a sales consultant, business advisor, business development manager, commercial developer for four prestigious uh, businesses in the industry sector. So I'm super excited to dive into your background um, and your experience in sales. And I'd like to start all the way back at the beginning. Let's go all the way back and tell us about your first job in sales. What was that like? Man, well, thanks so much for having me on. Um, technically, my first job in sales, uh, I was in like eighth grade. I sold hot dogs, the same fair. <laughs> but for the, the purposes of a, a more productive conversation, I would say my first job out of college okay. um, was for a residential solar installer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, you know, sitting at the kitchen table trying to get panels on the roof. Yeah, um, that was actually a full commission, you know, eat what you kill roll. Um, so it was, it was a little bit of like a sink or swim. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you get into it though? Like, was it, you know, something at a job fair or like, how'd you first hear about the job? Yeah. It was actually one of my college professors um, knew that I was uh, really interested in like the energy sector. Okay. I'll say broadly. Yeah. Um, he was like, uh, you know, I had an old student that like now runs a, a sales team, you know, Seems like it might be a good fit for you. Yeah. And he gave him a call. Um, he said, can you come in for an interview today? And I was like, well, I've got your class today. And he was like, skip it. Go. Um, and here we yeah. are. Like yeah. A decade later. Hey, that's super awesome. Yeah. Okay. And you said a commission only. Yeah. Right. Right out of college. Well, so you commission. were like, hey, yeah, I'm not getting salary. I'm really just going to go out here and try and sell this thing and see what can happen. Yeah. I was bright eyed and bushy tailed. I yeah. was like, oh, I'll kill it right, <laughs> off, right off the bat, um, yeah. which was not not the case. Okay. Um, so I was I was living in Boston at the time. And the first year I really I was not hitting the, the marks. No, uh, I was not hitting my KPIs or my sales goals. Um, you know, eating mashed potato sandwiches, just getting by, mm -hmm. watching the comma in my bank account disappear every time I paid rent. Yeah, um, I feel that. But eventually, uh, I glued myself to you know some of the top performers on yeah. the team, and they were uh, super awesome about just like you know allowing me shadow them and pick their brain, um, and kind of you know took their best practices, formed them into something that that worked well for me. Mm -hmm. um, and over the course of a few months, you know, into my my second and third year, um, I was able to you know eventually like triple my close rate. Nice. Um, so I was you know, making for like a 23, 24 year old, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is <laughs> incredible. I'm working 25 hours a week, uh -huh. like, you know, closing every other sale that I go to. And just, right. life was great for, I'm sure, man. That was, that was sure. the peak of the roller coaster. Right. <laughs> uh, you're getting all this commission yeah. and like really, really good at what you do. Um, and, you know, that directly equates to, you know, the money in your bank account. Exactly. So exactly. you were chilling. Okay. Okay. So tell us the secrets then. Like what you started at a certain mindset, certain yeah. mindset, certain skill set. Then you shadowed or kind of copycat the top and then you you excelled. So what's what was kind of the secret of the success then? Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's like one silver bullet okay. uh, that just, you know, enabled me to like really build confidence and, and increase my close rate. Um, I would say if there was one thing that stands out, it's just really having like genuine empathy mm. for the person that's sitting across from you and understanding mm. like, what are their concerns, right? Because you might think you have a fantastic product for X, Y, and Z reasons, mm -hmm. and they might not even care about that. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, trying to get objections out on the table early and understanding where they're coming from, 
um, I think was was pretty critical for me to excel. Yeah, kind of that next level. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, a lot of sales professionals talk about that empathy in sales and making sure you don't go into conversations with a lot of assumptions. Yeah, um, or just pitch, you know, right off the bat. Yeah, right. And that's a, right. that's how I feel like a lot of like the sales stigma, the bad sales stigma comes from. Definitely, there's bad salespeople who don't know what they're doing. They're just super pushy and yeah. all that stuff. And that kind of brings me to a lot of my next question. Um, a lot of people think sales is a scary, manipulative practice. Yeah. Right. What would you What would you tell those people? Um, I I understand why there's a stigma okay. uh, around sales. Um, you know, I think we've all dealt with you know bad actors. We have them in every industry, and sales is is no different. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that the narrative is changing a little bit from a buyer beware to a seller beware. You know, with the advent of just, you know, the internet and ubiquitous information about any product or service you're, you're shopping for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, consumer shopping platforms, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you put in the time and do your homework, um, you can be pretty savvy going into that conversation. Yeah. And, you know, better protect yourself from those those bad actors. Gotcha. Yeah. So really, it's just around the salesperson not being truthful in the conversation. Yeah. Like most people are. I think there are, yeah, we've all dealt with, um, you know, salespeople that either, you know, they, they bend the truth, they're, mm -hmm. they kind of fabricate it to their, their favor. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, coming in with a little bit more uh, knowledge, you know, not coming in cold, right. doing your due diligence, shopping around. Right. Uh, I think that's, that's all ways that you can protect yourself from, you know, from those bad actors. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. Any, any sort of like, books that you would recommend to people around um good sales practice yeah um got a lot of sales books yeah a lot of sales books in the mind <laughs> yeah yeah um one uh, apropos to like your your question uh just before this about you know the bad actors and the stigma um daniel pink wrote a book i believe it's to sell as human Mm, to um, sell is human I by Damon Pink. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the title of it, but he's got a number of different books. He also has like a master class. Uh, you sign up for that. He's he's got a whole host of lectures, but yeah. um, that's a great, I would say, intro like sales book. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're in a maybe you're first time in sales or like a sales adjacent industry, you just want to know how to be a little bit more persuasive and frame questions and better understand consumer psychology. Mm -hmm. That's a great starter book, mm -hmm. I would say, to get yeah. you going. I would say my favorite book is probably um, uh, from Tom Hopkins, who was a, uh, his claim to fame was in real estate. He sold 365 homes in one year, home and day. And he was just like, all right, I figured this out. I'm just going to go, <laughs> you know, teach people. 365 homes, 365 homes in one year. Yo. Absolutely. That's literally a home a day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's uh, insane. Yeah. And I mean, he, he talks about it in the book. Like he, of course, you know, he was hustling. He was working six mm -hmm. days yeah. a week. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't just come from putting in the hours. Like you have to know exactly what you're doing. And there's a lot of great sales practices that he preaches um, in that in a number of his books that mm -hmm. uh, really helped me uh, get my feet under me, you know. Right. those first few years of sales and you know, yeah. build up that, that skill set. That's good. That's good. Because a lot of people, when they first go into sales, they're just like, oh, well, I'm in sales. I just talk to people. Yeah. You know, that's my job is to, you know, answer questions and talk about the product and really talk about them. But 
that's that's the wrong mindset. And as you go into reading yeah. these books and studying how great people do it, you learn that it's a lot more empathetic than that. You have to listen. And there's certain ways you can frame questions that um, not necessarily manipulative, but uh, really gets the truth um, out of people. Because yeah. a lot of times when people talk or people answer questions, they're kind of hiding the truth. And it's like your job to overturn every rock and um, truly understands, truly understand like what the other person's pain point is. Yeah. Right. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, they talk about it in this book, but I think it was originally uh, Epictetus, like a Stoic philosopher that said this, but basically said, you know, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Mm -hmm. Right. There you go. Use them proportionately. <laughs> um, and I, I think that there's a misconception that a lot of people that are extroverted, um, you know, they should be in sales. The talk, they should be in sales. They would crush it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's empirically, I found it's, it's kind of the opposite. Because um, they end up just, you know, yeah, team rolling over the, the customer and not letting them get a word. In, and they really don't, you know, because of that, they don't know where they should be steering the, the conversation and get to that close, mm -hmm. to that next step. Yeah, exactly. And they say people buy from people. Yeah. And after the conversation, if the person um, that you're speaking to is left feeling like they just got talked at, like just got yeah. sat, sat in a lecture for an hour, yep. you're probably not going to be interested um, unless you all have like a good back and forth dialogue. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cool, man. So that's that's awesome. Um, I want to transition into where you are now in the energy energy tech space. Um, we talked a little bit about like what drew you to it, but talk to me just about your journey through energy. Mm, yeah. um, and I just love to know like ups and downs from a both sales perspective and then also a sales role perspective, because I know you've done a couple of different things. Yeah. In the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where to begin? Uh, so, I mean, I, I went to a, a maritime college, um, which is like a pseudo military, so like you, you know, wear the uniform, but you don't have to like serve in the military afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually led me to an internship, a shipping agency where I did a lot of like uh, oil and natural gas projects. And that's what kind of like sparked that. Yeah. That flame that got really interested in energy. Okay. I actually wanted to work in oil and gas. Yeah. The college. What were those projects? Um, what were those projects? Uh, I had to... Oh man, I'm digging back now, like over a decade, <laughs> but uh, I had to uh, research every basically important export um, natural gas terminal in the mm. U.S., uh, liquefaction, regasification terminals. So um, this was right around like the big shale boom. Um, so we were going from like, just starting to go from like a major importer of natural gas to now we've got the supply to actually start exporting. Hmm. Um, so it was during that kind of pivotal moment of like 2014, 2015. Yeah. Um, where the, you know, the energy mix was really starting to shift. Mm -hmm. That's um, a really cool time to get into it. So yeah, that's, that's what got me interested. Uh, come graduation, you know, very few oil and gas companies were hiring like business mm -hmm. majors. Um, and like I said, I spoke with that professor who knew I was interested in energy. Mm -hmm. He ended up landing me an interview and helped me get that first job in sales and solar. Um, and then I just fell in love with like renewables. Um, and I, I don't see myself ever straying too far off okay. from, this, <laughs> from this industry um, yeah. over my career. But yeah, that got me kicked off. Um, you know, at that first role, uh, Really, the main focus was just sales, just get the contract signed. Mm -hmm. um, and that was with residential houses, right? Yep. So you were selling roof, like roof roof, solar roof panels. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Um, so that was uh, B2C, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in person. Mm -hmm. And then 
I actually ended up after like three plus years there, I worked for a uh, company called Energy Sage, and they run like an online shopping comparison platform okay. um, for solar. Still in a residential? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Their focus is, is residential. However, they've branched off into commercial and other sides of the industry, HVAC, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but that gave me a you know, chance to kind of brush up on my inside sales skills, um, still B2C um, and the occasional B2B. And I got to work on some cool projects and really get a broader grasp on like the energy, you know, industry as a whole throughout like, the country. Mm -hmm. um, nice. There's a lot of different states. And, yeah. Uh, from there, cut my teeth in um, commercial on like B2B sales, <laughs> moved out to a commercial installer out here, Cincinnati, Ohio, mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, um, much longer sales cycles, as I'm sure you're familiar with, and with the B2C side. Yeah, um, most of my life has been a B2B, and I'm yeah. jealous of the B2C and how quick it is. <laughs> that's that's yeah. one thing I miss. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like you can make a sale in a week. Exactly. It's not the case of B2B. No. No, you got to be a lot more patient. So mm -hmm, right. bigger wins, but yeah, lower volume. A lot bigger wins. You're just dealing with many different decision makers and everybody's time is like never, never aligned. Yeah. So setting up, you know, the meetings uh, with the decision makers is always difficult and stuff like that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Usually you have to get through a gatekeeper and then, you know, even if you reach, like in my case, it's often like a facilities manager or something mm -hmm. like that, like there's still several more decision makers, you know, behind right. the curtain that right. you know, ultimately are going to get the final say. Right. So you get to the champion and then the champion's like, all right, let me go and try and yeah. sell it let on the chain. The, exactly. Yeah. Like who's the Except actual flagpole. Right. Yeah. Right. But so anywho, I digress. Keep on going. But uh, yeah, so that was the last three. And uh, now I'm at a energy as a service company. So we offer financing for uh, a number of different products mm -hmm. in kind of like the home energy space. Yeah. Um, largely being like rooftop solar, uh, battery storage, EV charging, things like that. So it was funny that uh, the company that I'm at now actually financed my first system um, that I sold. That you sold in the beginning? That, yeah. The full circle. Full circle. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. So it's it's been quite a ride. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm no, I wouldn't really say that I'm in a, a traditional sales role anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so I work in business development and basically help uh, identify and implement strategic partnerships and plug into, you know, outside of like the core business Yeah, and then try to stand up new business lines. Okay. Gotcha. So it's not necessarily going in trying to, trying to sell um, something. It's more, it's more, I mean, I, I think the, the sales skills that I was able to develop at those last three companies definitely, uh, benefits me today and trying to work with, you know, internal stakeholders within the company and just say, Hey, we want to do something totally different that the business has never done before. Mm -hmm. And in your perspective, it's going to be inherently risky. Um, and it's my job to sell you on why we should get into something like this. Right. Um, and then benefit in the ROI because of it. Yeah. Know. Yeah, exactly. And then the, you know, external side, we've got to find the partners to make these, you know, new ambitious ideas actually. Come to fruition. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's super awesome. Um, and I feel like your journey through sales, it just makes a lot of sense. First, you start really knocking on, not necessarily knocking on doors, but yeah. more like quick, fast paced, figure out how to talk to people and figure out the industry as well. Um, yeah. And like how to talk the numbers and make a case for sale. Yeah. And then now you're in more of like this business development role where you're dealing probably with a lot more like financial models and yeah. more like intricacies in the space so i feel like that that journey makes a lot of sense for you 
Yeah. Yeah. Spent a lot more time in Excel than, than I did. <laughs> <laughs> first started was off. first job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. There's, there's a balancing act. I feel like there, there were days, um, especially my last company, I kind of like, you know, ran the finance, you know, piece of, you know, project level finance. Okay. And there'd be full days where I'd basically spend like eight plus hours in Excel. Like my boss might like come in, knock on my, knock on my door. Hey, can we touch base? And like my brain was just fried. <laughs> like I just felt my soft skills just absolutely diminish. <laughs> like, on days I like talk that. to people. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a balancing act. It's good to know the numbers, but mm -hmm. you have to be able to, you know, articulate and still kind of keep that, that sales mindset when you, yeah. Something. Yeah. Right. Because uh, there is there's ROI in industry. I mean, in, in the um, energy sector, for yeah. sure. But a lot of it is over 10 plus years. Am I wrong about that? Um, it, it depends. I think one of the common misconceptions um, around like, you know, our industry and whether or not you have like a lot of people ask me, hey, do I have a good home for solar? Okay. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that you could answer that question. Are you going to be at the house for a while? Do you get a lot of sun, et cetera? But a lot of people think that, you know, if you're in like one of the northern states, it's a bad state for solar. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really not the case, right? Like a lot of it depends far more on uh, what you're paying for electricity. You look at the states that have high electricity costs. Okay. Um, those are usually the best states for solar, the most mature markets, gotcha. I should say, right? So like Massachusetts... Yeah. 10 times the market that Georgia is. Yeah. Right. Georgia gets a lot more sunshine, but they've got cheap power, not a very developed rate. Use the fossil fuel real incentives. Yeah. yeah. So there's, um, I don't know, there's a lot of misinformation, I would say, on the development of those markets. Gotcha. That's interesting. My brain is, my brain wants to go all types of places. And <laughs> hmm, where to go first? So when it comes to the value proposition yeah. of solar, um, gosh, I want to make sure I have it in my brain. Um, because the value proposition—it's just—it's interesting now that you bring that up because it's not just how much sun do you have; it's what are you paying right now for electricity. Yeah, and if it's cheap enough, uh, the electricity you're paying for now, solar might not make sense because the installation fees and all that stuff. Like, you're not going to be saving that much money. Yeah. Um, in your experience, though, when yeah. it comes to that value proposition, have you ever ever came across someone? who wanted to get into solar more from like the environmental standpoint where they're just like, I want to help save the environment or something like yeah. that. Like a, a value proposition that's different than like the number game. Just, yeah. yeah. I would say the overwhelming majority of people need to see the numbers point in the right direction. Yeah. It needs to make sense financially. A lot of people will say that, you know, they're interested because of the environmental standpoint. And some people, that that's really all it is, mm -hmm. but there's few and far between, right? Like some businesses will have ESG goals that really dictates like, Hey, like regardless of what we're paying for power, what the, the returns are on this investment, like we have, we have to hit, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Reduce scope one, two, three emissions, et cetera. Right. Um, so they've got, you know, they've got numbers to hit on that end. Mm -hmm. Homeowners don't really have numbers like that to hit on their end. Right. So and they, probably don't really know the numbers as well as the big guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, um, you, you zoom out a little bit and you just think like, okay, you know, it's, it's kind of like renting versus owning, right? Like, do you rather rent okay. power from the utilities that are burning fossil fuels? Right. Or for the, you know, same cost a month, maybe even 
at a savings every month, mm -hmm. you want green power that you get from your roof. Mm -hmm. um, and at a, a super high level, that's usually, you know, a no brainer for most folks. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot more, you know, questions that follow up on that and concerns and things that you need to walk through in each, you know, each sales consultation is is different, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like I know you're a chess guy. It's, it's like a chess game. Slots um, today, you know. <laughs> you've got you've got folks that might just practice like closing techniques or, okay. or opening game, but I think you really need the whole picture to like be able to productively walk through that yeah. that conversation, reach a close, mm -hmm. right? Because otherwise, you get to the the end game. And if you didn't know your opening, your mid-game strategy and those principles, you've got no material to close. You're in a terrible you're just, spot. You're just like, here's the paper. So really then, exactly. You know. So I think you, you know, you come in, you ask um, you know, open questions, right? Like how how long have you been looking at, at solar? Okay. I love starting with that question because they tell you so much that's so pertinent to where you want to have that yeah. discussion. Okay. I've, you're the fourth installer I've met with this month. Mm -hmm. I've been looking at it for six months. I work in the industry, right? Like maybe they're going to teach me something. Yeah. I don't know that. Yeah. So not assuming um, where the other person is at and just letting them tell you right. to get started, I think, is, is the best best approach. That's huge. And that's a good opening. That's a good opening question, right? Just allows them, gives them like the frame of yeah. mind to give you all the things that, that you need to, to effectively navigate exactly. the conversation. So that's huge. How long did it take for you to get... To a point where you a while. that question. A while. Yeah. I used to, it was terrible. I would go in and I would just like set up my laptop uh -huh. and like just dive right into the numbers. And I was like, oh, the numbers, this is gonna sell itself. And mm -hmm. it was so impersonal. Yeah. And I finally, you know, graduated to the point where I was just like, okay, um, pull my backpack down, sit across from them, have a conversation. Yeah. And I'll ask that question. And then right before they start, I say, Oh shoot, do you mind? Do you mind if I take some notes? And they go, Oh my gosh, of course. Mm -hmm. Pull out my notebook. Take a few notes, mm -hmm. listen to them early on in that kind of open-ended discussion, kind of exploratory phase of the call. Um, I want to get those objections on the table okay? because otherwise that's going to be in the back of their head the whole time we're chatting. Right, right. right. Like, well, um, this, well, this, well, this. So you can so, get them all up front. Exactly. You know, so be those. Yeah. yeah. Before I go into any sort of sales pitch, I'll say, so like, what, what concerns do you have, if any? Like, what are you worried about or what are you unsure of? Mm -hmm. And I'll... One by one, write all of those things down, and that one, it's just good because it gives me a guide of like, all right, I need to, I need to hit these things. But it also tells the person across from me, like, hey, this kid's like actually paying attention, right? Right? He's not just trying to steamroll over me, and he cares. Know. He cares about what I want. He cares. You know what I've been through. Exactly. My concerns with it. Exactly. And I would address them one by one. And I mean, there's you know probably a dozen questions that you know you get like eighty percent of the questions are all one of those dozen okay so you know how to address them yeah and you've got ideally a, a one sec a, a one sentence response to kind of address that concern yeah and then if they still push back you can go another sentence or two mm -hmm. and like ultimately you can go like a full paragraph or two paragraphs deep if you need to yeah but sometimes it's just oh yeah this isn't a concern because of xyz this is what we find and they go oh okay and then i would just say so does that do we handle that? Are we are we comfortable with that now? Mm -hmm. And I would cross that off right and in front of them. And that is no longer a reason that they're not closing with yeah. me. And yeah. I work down that list. And then at that point, we've gotten all of the objections off the table before you even start the pitch. Right. And they've got their full attention. Right. You pull out the laptop and you can actually, you know, yeah. talk about the benefits. That's huge, man. That's yeah. huge. Um, I think that's really good advice, really good tactics uh, for people to hear. 
And when it came to writing out those uh, rebuttals to the objection, mm -hmm. did you script them out? Like, did you write them out and just like practice them? Oh, yeah. Was it something that, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. About that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what you would call it, but um, you know, I think some people call it like mind mapping, but like I would, you know, basically sit at like a whiteboard and just think through like, okay, what's like the skeleton like outline mm -hmm. of how I want, what's, what's my opening strategy? What's the mid game? What's the <laughs> yeah. close? Yeah. Um, and then from there you can kind of start to put some meat on the bones with, you know, real narrative, like, okay, this question's like mm -hmm. a pop up at this point, mm -hmm. um, you know, and start even handling and like anticipating objections to come mm -hmm. um, throughout your sales pitch and address them at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So huge. it's, yeah, it's, it's, very calculated. It's, I wouldn't say that it's it's scripted, but there's an outline that you follow, and then you've got all the rest of the pieces kind of like you know on the back of your head, and you can plug in. Yeah, and I'm sure they appreciate that. They'd rather have someone who knows the ins and outs of the conversation that could yeah. happen, right, rather than someone who's just like, well, la, 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 la. yeah, oh shoot, I'll, I'll I'll look into that and get back with exactly you. right. Um, Let me talk to my boss or something. Like no yeah. one, nobody wants to talk to that person. People want to talk to the, the person who's put together and who has done this before. Exactly, right? and knows the ins and outs um, and all the things that can go wrong and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every once in a while, you get hit with a curveball and you might not know that. And you know when that happened, I would just say, I would tell him exactly that. I was just like, Wow, I'll be honest, I've done this for a while. I've never heard that. Like that's an awesome question. I actually don't know, but like. <laughs> You know, I'm going to drop that down. I'll get back to you on it. Mm -hmm. that's, it's not a big deal if you have to do that. Um, I think that's far better than, you know, just trying to make something up. Right. Like pop it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that can come back to bite you. Um, so if you genuinely don't know, you know, don't don't be afraid to just say, you know what? That's a great question. I haven't heard that one before. But let me let me circle back to you on that. I'll take a note of that. Let's, yeah. let's keep pushing forward. Nice. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Um, so when it comes to last question on the objections, when it comes to the. Uh, rebuttals to the objections yeah what would you say was the most effective way to overcome an objection was it facts was it a metaphor was it a story you know like what yeah. what were the different types of tactics within that one sentence or paragraph yeah um i'll i'll zoom out a little bit in, in answering this and say one of my favorite quotes from that guy tom hopkins yeah circling back yes was, um people don't make their decisions logically they make them emotionally and then justify them with logic mm -hmm. right and it's the more you think about that like it's just it's so true right like even like what do i want for lunch today i want pizza <laughs> like i should have a salad right. logically that makes more sense but like you know what i had i had a salad yesterday i'm like i was pretty good i went to the gym so like you know i'm not i'm, I'm telling myself emotionally <laughs> all these facts yep emotionally i know i want the pizza and now i'm going to use logic to justify that decision and right. it's the same thing with you know buying consumer goods mm -hmm. services anything mm -hmm. uh, all those decisions you make them emotionally and use logic to justify them right um, so if you can move them uh emotionally uh with some of those objections right like one might be you know i was i was really expecting more savings every month like mm -hmm. this is you know it's 50 bucks, whatever it is. Um, I was just, I don't know, that doesn't do it for me. I was expecting more, right? And like, logically in my head, I'm thinking, well, like, what do you say when the utilities? Like, absolutely nothing. That would be the logical response. And like my early days, I'll probably just say that. <laughs> and they go, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. Um, but if you can move them emotionally, mm -hmm. right? So like sometimes a story can help do that. Um, so I'd say, well, you know what? I, I hear you. That's not, you know, not a, a life-changing amount of money that you're going to be saving each month, but like 
don't know, you ever like put on like an old an old jacket or an old pair of pants? Like you reach into one of the pockets and you pull out like a 20? Like, I love that. <laughs> this is free money. Like, awesome. Like, this is like that. Yeah. Except every month you're going to pull out a 50 for the next year. Mm -hmm. And then as utility rates rise, you're going to pull out a $70. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and that... You can kind of see the gears turning in their head and just like, like oh yeah, like, like I do love <laughs> I do love when I find money. Like yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um just to again, it, it drives in the logic, but it, it gives them an emotional kind of you know thing to walk through in their head. To, right. To get them there. Mm -hmm. It's a good metaphor, it's a good story to tell at the beginning. Yeah. And then you know, you justify it or kind of relate it back to their current situation. Exactly. Which is awesome. Exactly. Okay, uh, last tactical question. Uh, not really a tactical question, but more a question around uh, value proposition uh, of solar that yeah. popped in my head. Does the value of a house go up if they install solar panels? Yes, I believe Zillow actually had um, a study on this and they found that on average houses go up once at 4% okay. or something at resale. Yeah. So like even if you do have that scenario right where you're like, I don't know how long I'm gonna be at this house, I might not see the return on this investment mm -hmm. before I move. Mm -hmm. um, some people would just say, therefore, it doesn't make sense. It's like, well, no, like you'll save money. You know, maybe you finance it. You're paying probably about the same or less than you would every month to the utilities. So you're either net even or net ahead. Right. And you're getting green energy. And when it does come time to sell that house, um, they do sell, they tend to sell faster than homes. If you have like an identical home that didn't have solar. Yeah. They tend to sell a little bit faster and at a higher value though. Nice. That's what we're looking for about solar. Fair enough. Just a question that popped in my head. I was like, no one doesn't know the value problem. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten that one once or twice before. <laughs> yeah, all right. I can sell. All right. Killed it. <laughs> um, something you mentioned when you were first walking us through your journey through the industry was that you got the chance to talk to people all across the United States. Um, yeah. I think you were speaking of it when uh, you were going through your residential days, like your second residential yeah. place. Yeah. Is there like differences in talking to and speaking to people from like different states or different cultures you know, did you have to navigate anything around like cultures geopolitics anything like that oh yeah yeah all the time <laughs> all the time i'm curious um, yeah yeah i i would say it was just kind of case by case like mm -hmm. there's some differences that you can anticipate um based on the state but for the most part, it's like it's homeowner by homeowner, yeah. um, right? You know, some some homeowners, you know, let's say that that swing more to the right of the aisle might be, you know, their value prop might be, hey, like, I hate the utilities. Like, I want to own, like, I want to be, like, independent, like, okay. screw yeah. the grid. Like, I want to own this thing and, right. you know, take pride in that ownership. Um, people that might swing more to the left, you know, the economics still need to work, but, like, maybe they want more of the environmental benefits. That's mm -hmm. a bigger driver for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot of different, you know, different ways you can go about it. I mean, I've had guys say, you know, natural gas is so cheap, like you know, the utility prices, they're going to go down. Mm -hmm. um, why would I lock myself into some, some solar company? Uh, and I would love that. I would entertain all of those, you know, quests. but look, I don't, I don't have a, a crystal ball, mm -hmm. but like, let's, let's think this through. I would draw out a chart and say, you know, this is, this is the cost for your electricity 10 years ago. This is where it is today. It was like double mm -hmm. in Massachusetts. It's like over 25 years. What do you think it's going to be? Right. Most people will be like, oh my gosh, it's going to you know, double again. It's going to triple, whatever. Um, and when they tell me that, it's like, all right, this is going to be, there's going to be a lay down. It'll yeah. be easy. Right. Um, but some people will say, maybe it'll stay the same. 
I'm just like, okay, well, you know, most most analysts would you know, have, have different thoughts on that. But yeah. like, let's let's entertain it. Um, you know, do you want to roll the dice and we can say, okay, let's stick with the the utilities um, and pay X cents per per kilowatt hour and hope that they never go up, even though historically that's kind of all they've ever done. Um, or we can guarantee that you know the power from your roof will be at exactly this cost for the next 25 years. Um, which route should we go? Because we got to pick one. And they would usually go like, oh, they didn't love it, but they were just like, yeah, okay, that does that does kind of make yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, that it makes sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, you get different mindsets. Some people are far more skeptical um, mm -hmm. than others. Um, but yeah, you just got. You want to say it was like a state by state? I wouldn't say it's state by state. Okay. I mean, in certain states, the economics are just much stronger. Okay. Right. Like certain states, okay. you might yeah, like a five-year mm -hmm. um, payback on you know, your investment. Other years might be longer. Uh, sorry, other states might have you know a longer payback. Um, but like, there's a lot of different financing products out there. You can uh, lease or do what's called like a power purchase agreement, and you're basically just buying the power off your roof for like a set cost per kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. And again, if that if that is pretty much at or beats the utility, it's it usually makes sense. Right. Yeah, pencils. And even if you want to finance it, like the systems aren't inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Right. They might run 20, 30 plus K before incentives start kicking in. Uh, but if you finance that on like a monthly basis, you know, you're paying $150 to own solar system and all the power that comes from it. Or you could pay $200 to the utility to not own Anyway. Anything, right? Right. Just keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. So, same things like, do you want mortgage or do you just want to live in an apartment? Exactly. Yeah. If you can get a mortgage for the same price as you can rent, um, or maybe even less, mm -hmm. and there's not really that much maintenance, a lot of times the companies will actually cover the maintenance for those projects. It kind of becomes a, a no brainer. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Cool. Well, Appreciate uh, your insights on, you know, some of these sales strategies and um, insights into the industry sector. And you've obviously been a part of many different sales cultures. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, what makes a good culture versus a bad culture in sales? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I would say there's a lot of people in sales that are competitive mm -hmm. and that's and I, I would probably lump myself in with, with those folks um, but making sure you're surrounded by people that you know kind of views the the team success as mm -hmm. like a rising tide lifts all boats right by helping the new guy on the sales team which I was fortunate enough to have in my first job um, you know that helped the team like we we hit our goals individually but we were also looked at as like a branch like how was the Massachusetts South team doing this month? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, find an environment where you can lean on the next guy. And if they're struggling the next month, or you know how to sell a product better than they do, vice versa, you can lean on each other and, you know, sharpen those skill sets together yeah. and succeed as a, a broader team, as opposed to, you know, there are sales environments where it's just like, all right, like, I want to be the top salesman every month. I'm like, I'll step on whoever's head. To, mm -hmm. I'm not helping a single person because if I help them, exactly. they might get better than me. And that's exactly. Bad, and that's, yeah. And you can't have that mindset, yeah. I think, for a lot of reasons. But no, that makes sense. And that's not a culture people want to stay in. No. You know, it's it's lonely. It is. Right? Yeah. To just have everyone pit against every, everybody. Only thing anybody really cares about is money. And it's just, there's no 
other reason to do well. Exactly. Right. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. Cool. Well, what's next for you? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I would say I'm I'm still learning and enjoying like the team that I work with, my current role. Mm -hmm. So until one of those things changes, um, I'll probably stay put for a little while. Yeah. But longer term, I mean, I've I've done a little bit of uh, independent consulting before, and I really enjoyed that. Um, so maybe someday it's opening up an LLC and getting into you know full time consulting or yeah maybe part time consulting on you know, ten ninety nine sales like on the side. Still, <laughs> still my one, but gotcha. All right, cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sam. It's a great conversation. Um, how can people get in contact with you and, you know, if they have any questions about solar or just sales strategies? Oh, uh, reach out. Um, I always enjoy getting yeah. out about, about solar. Um, so, I mean, I'm Samuel Hill, uh, LinkedIn's probably the, the easiest way to, to get in contact with me, but yeah, other than that. Fair enough, man. Well, appreciate, appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good one. All right. so